Hey New Legacy Linden, this is on. Right now I am currently hanging out and recording this sermon in my bedroom. It is beautiful outside. The sun is out and I believe that this sun is this beautiful gift from the Lord in a very hard season in our world. Before I get started on continuing our series in Matthew, I just wanted to give you guys some updates on things that are happening with our house church. Um, we had our Easter egg hunt planned. In fact, we haven't canceled it yet. I feel like every day I'm waking up and I am hearing new things. And so this is on the calendar until it's not on the calendar. We will get creative. We will figure out what's going on. But most importantly, we are going to be intentional and kind about and safe. And so I'll let you know as soon as I know what's happening with the Easter egg hunt. Everything is really on pause with gathering until the beginning of April. And then we'll reassess from there. The two missions two mission trips that we have planned for this summer again is for track camp for girls and the track camp for boys and so I really hope that you will prayerfully consider joining us as we spend two weekends you can serve only one of the weekends but spend two weekends in the in the summertime to serve with um, foster teens in our um, in our area I would definitely say this is one of the most incredible experiences I have ever had and it's one of the things that I look forward to the most. Also, last but not least, uh, we are still collecting tithes and offerings and everything has always been online for us. And so um, go to our website, go to the support page and follow the instructions there. Um, I just want to let you know that over the, this last week, we were able to serve over 70, close to 80 something kids um, by providing food and um, lunch supplies that they would need because school got canceled pretty suddenly. And so that's all because of your ties and the donation of um, generous people in our community. But um, we're still collecting our tithes and offerings. It's all digital like it always has been. So please make sure that you go to our website. If New Legacy Linden is your house church, if this is your community, then please give your tithes and your offerings there. We're continuing our series in Matthew. We have been in math, the book of Matthew for the last since we started in October of 2018 and I'm so glad that we are a church that slowly works through the work works through and learns through and grows through the word of God together to um before I even again before I even start on teaching on that I wanted to let you know that you can listen to all of our um, previous sermons and get caught up um on our church group on faithlife.com you can find Follow that URL right there that you're seeing and you're going to be able to access everything um, of all of our sermons that we have recorded. And I just want to continue to encourage us to flatten the curve. I know that right now the idea for a lot of churches is to meet in smaller groups. Um, which is funny because that's what we have been doing, but we've even canceled our physical gatherings in our home because while elbow bumping and six, six feet between each person might be, um, what is possible in, in buildings, it's really not possible in a home. And so we are, we've prayerfully considered to not gather in person because we do want to flatten the curve and we're not just doing it for us. We're, you know, like just don't, don't self quarantine and social distance, uh, for you do it for the people who are vulnerable to die from, um, COVID-19. You could be young, healthy, and you're like, whatever, this isn't going to affect me. I might be asymptomatic. I've got zero cares in the world. This is totally fine. I'm going to live life as normal. Um, can I encourage you, if that is what you are thinking, can I encourage you to, one, not be a jerk and to be considerate? You might not be in danger, but people who are in danger, those who are vulnerable, the elderly, they matter. People with um, immune systems that are lower and cannot fight it as we can fight it. 
They are vulnerable and they matter. Therefore, because they matter, this should matter to us. Even if our bodies can handle it, even if we are asymptomatic, even if it doesn't directly affect us, it affects our community. Therefore, please be wise. Please choose to join us and flatten the curve. And if you're like, I don't understand this flatten the curve term, here's a really great graphic that I found about flattening the curve because I just know that people understand cats and graphics. So here it is. In the red, that cat, that's the alert kitty outbreak. It will pounce and shred the healthcare system like the arm of your couch. That means if we pretended like nothing was going on and we went out and we did all the things and we spread all the germs, it means that more people are exposed. More people are going to um, go into the healthcare system, go into our hospitals, all those things. And our hospital, our healthcare system cannot sustain that giant spike in people going. And so we want to be lazy kitty. We want to be the long intervals between the transmission events, like the amount of time kitty will hold this position. The healthcare system can cope. Be lazy kitty right now. Be at home. Reduce the amount of times that you are going out and being close to people. Flatten the curve, or in this image, we're cattening the curve. I don't even like cats, but I saw this image and I thought it was one of the greatest things I've seen in a while on the internet. And so ending on a very serious note of cattening the curve, I'm going to pray and we are going to jump into Matthew 13, 36 through 58. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you are our constant and our rock and our refuge in the midst of an unprecedented time in the history of, um, gosh, in my history and in the history of most people's memory, God, most of us have not walked through a pandemic or existed and lived through a pandemic. I have never pastored through a pandemic. And God, while so many things seem scary and unstable and unknown lord we know you and you are good and you sustain and you are a refuge and god i pray that you would just speak through me um as i teach the word that um that we're going to be talking about um today lord i pray that even though we are not physically next to each other giving each other hugs celebrating the beautiful worship gathering in person lord that we would remember Lord, that um, that we could still be community, even if we're not physically in front of each other, that we could still check in and see how people are doing. We could still serve and love in the midst of this. So God, I pray that you would give us creative ways to love each other well and reach out to each other well. I thank you, Lord, for New Legacy Linden and the incredible people that uh, myself and my family get to love. God, what a privilege it is to do your work. And Lyndon, we thank you for what you have provided for us. We thank you how you for how you are using us. And God, I pray that I would not get in the way of what you want to speak to people through this message tonight. Today, in Jesus' name, amen. So jumping and continuing um, back in Matthew, we are in Matthew 13, 36 through 58. Like I said earlier um, in the recording, if you want to catch up and listen to the recordings that we have done in the past, you are more than welcome to join us on really our digital gathering place on faithlife.com forward slash new legacy Linden. All of our recordings are there and that's really (coughs) where I am. You can find updates about what we're doing. So um, this is the part about our gathering that I miss the most, which is when we all sit in a circle and we all read from the word of God. Um, Today you get to hear my voice. So, um, or you can just mute it and read it yourself. You know, you do you. So I'm going to start Matthew 13, 36, 58. Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went inside the house and his disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, The Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the kingdom of God, the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, 
so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovers hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like the merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovers a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like fishing nets that are thrown into the water. When the net was full, they dragged it up upon, up onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. Angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand all these things? Yes, they said, we do. Then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown, where he taught there in the synagogue. Everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. We know Mary, his mother, his brother, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. So he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. And so breaking down these set of verses, I wanted to focus first on verses um, 36 through 43. And this is where Jesus is explaining to the disciples um, the stories of the weeds in the field. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the parable that he told. Now this is his explanation. And what was interesting, so going back earlier in Matthew 13, <coughs> excuse me. The parable was that there was a farmer and he planted all these good seeds. And in the night, somebody came and planted bad seeds in his field. But here's the thing is that in that story, in that parable, when you dig deeper, you recognize that the seeds that were planted were most likely um, in the original language they were called Darnell. And it was this type of seed where you couldn't tell it any differently from wheat seeds until they sprouted. And it wasn't until they sprouted that you realized, oh no, this is not the good seed. This is not what I want in my garden. And, but Here's the part is that when you're able to tell the difference between the good wheat seed and the evil wicked seed, the bad seed, the Darnell, that seed, you could uproot it. But when you uproot the bad ones, you would uproot the good ones because at that point, their root system were intertwined. And so the workers of the field ask in the parable, they ask the farmer, what do you want us to do? Should we root it up? And he goes, No. Let them grow and we will root it up later. We will separate it later when we harvest. And as we, and as Jesus explains this parable and what I said when we gathered weeks ago is that God's justice is greater than our own. And I want us to rest in that, that, that even in I hit on this a couple of weeks ago because we were talking about how sometimes when you experience injustice, when you experience things, especially in the realm of the church, when you experience evil in places where there's supposed to be good, the initial reaction is where's justice? Where's this just God that they, that you see evil people prosper? Because guess what? The evil seed, the bad seed grew up in the same good soil as that good seed. And instead of being rooted up, they were allowed to grow. They were allowed to grow and thrive. And it isn't until the harvest that there is a separation. And there's something that stuck in my heart is that you might even be bitter to see the evil grow. You might even be angry. 
because they did not receive the justice that is due, especially in a time in our world where there have been so many people who have been hurt by people in the church. And we talk about this all the time at House Church, which is just because you sit in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. Just because somebody says they go to church or they're a part of a church, it doesn't mean they're a Christian. So you might be hurt by someone truly evil who says that they are a Christian, who says that they go to church, all these things. And I just want to assure you that God's justice will reign in the end because his justice is greater than our own. That if the field is a church community, then just know that there are good and bad people in church community. That, that it is fully possible to sit amongst the greatest saints and the greatest sinners in church. So do not be shocked because the church is made up of imperfect people, people in process, people who can say that they are Christians, but they are not people who can say they love Jesus and they do. It is a mixed bag. And while we might be hurt by these people who are not following Christ and who are evil, who are sh uh, wolves among Sheep, just know that God's justice is greater than our own. That the angels that will do the separation of the harvest at the end, just like Jesus explains, and just like he explains the parable, there will be justice at the end. The harvesters will do their job and they will separate the good from the evil. Here's the thing. I think we will be very surprised when we go to heaven about who is there. Because at the end of the day, God's justice is greater than our own because God knows our heart better than we do. And he knows people better than they think they know themselves. So we can rest in the fact that God is good and he is just. And even if justice is not right now, today, in this timeline, on this side of eternity, there is justice. And the illusion that he uses, the imagery of the fiery furnace, the furnace of fire, that they understood what that meant then. Because back then, outside of Jerusalem, there would be dumps, rubbish dumps, where people would burn unwanted vegetation that is where you go to dump all the vegetation in your harvest that you did not want and so this idea that fiery furnace is alluding to that place that they all knew all the people that Jesus was talking to at that time knew about the rubbish dumps these burn piles and so I read the explanation of the parables that we talked about weeks ago and I just have confidence I have confidence in God's justice. I have confidence because God knows the heart of every person because he made them. And so can I just encourage you, if you are holding on to bitterness and anger and unforgiveness in your heart for how you've been hurt by somebody in the church, can I encourage you to bring that to God and release that? Because that bitterness, that anger, that unforgiveness in your heart is really affecting you more likely than it is affecting that other person. And you just need to trust. I just need to trust. We just need to trust that God's justice is greater than our own. And he illustrates this in the parables. And as we continue to Matthew 13, 44 through 50, you have these three parables that you actually we actually only find in the book of Matthew. <laughs> That's these three short parables between 40, verses 44 through 50 are only here in the Gospel of Matthew. I want you to listen. I want you to begin to begin to think about how these three parables are related to each other, but related to the greater context of what we have been learning. And we say this all the time at House Church. Context is key. That if we do not methodically, intentionally, prayerfully walk through verses of the Bible, books of the Bible, what we end up is what I call cut and paste Christianity, which is mean you're only cutting out and pasting in your life the things that make you feel good. And we can easily forget context that these parables and these explanations and what even we are talking about tonight is a part of a greater narrative. That's why what people, Christians only say, I only read the New Testament, the Old Testament is irrelevant. We are forgetting the greater narrative. 
When people only read the Old Testament and fail to see it in light of the New Testament, we are missing key parts of the story. And so this is why as a church, we have decided that we will walk through entire books of the Bible is because context is key and it is so easy in this day and age to have cut and paste Christianity where we are cutting and pasting the only things that we want to understand instead of understanding it in the entire biblical story in the entire Bible. And so as I teach, as I go through verses 44 and 50, can I just encourage you to listen deep and try to try to understand the three parables. So it says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in the field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. Also, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates and threw the bad ones away. That is the way that it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's funny because when I was reading these verses, I was thinking, I'm going to tell you, like I talk about all the time about how I hate to garden. So it will probably be a situation of never where you find me in a field digging for anything. Just being completely honest. And even in the realms of talking about pearls, I don't even like pearls that much. And so I was reading this, I was like, ah, all right, I'm going to try to understand what Jesus is saying, but I'm not really a buried treasure kind of girl and I'm not really a pearl kind of girl. So let's see where this goes. And I just, what I appreciate about even the parables and even as we are walking, even up to this point in Matthew 13, Jesus is continually using illustration and stories and illusions that people of that day understood. So the agricultural terms, fields, harvest, plowing, digging, even those are things that people understood then. The fiery furnace, the fields of fire, that is that is something that they can pull out then and be like, I know that. <coughs> even pearls, that is something that they knew because pearls were of great value in that time. And I think about how sucky it would be for us as Christians to forget how to use language and illustration that makes sense in our context today. Jesus continually exemplified in the Gospels how he used stories and illustrations and spoke in a way that people understood, not just the religious, but the everyday person. And if we cannot share the Gospel without using confusing Christianese, then I think we are just not sharing the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. And in my mind, I think about how it's like going to a knife fight with a dull blade. Yeah, a dull blade will work in the knife fight, but you're just going to have to work harder. And that's the thing is that, and you're like, on oh, how does using the gospel and not using Christianese, like going to a knife fight with a dull blade, is that I think the more we immerse ourselves in Christianese and these complicated terms like reconciliation and restoration, salvation, justification, sanctification, all these things that yes, they make sense and those are good things to know. If we cannot explain the gospel in a way that is easy to understand to someone who has never heard it, we are not doing what we are called to do. That if the world is like a giant knife fight, we need to be sharp. We need to be knowing what we are communicating. We need to be on point because what we do matters. How you speak matters. What you are telling people about Jesus matters. 
that if we look at the scheme of eternity, if which is even hard to understand, but if we look at what we believe as Christians, we believe that if people die without knowing who Jesus is, that they are, he is not their personal Lord and Savior. They do not have personal relationship with Jesus. They will spend eternity separated from him. So there should be a sense of urgency. There should be a sense of grit and strength and determination that every person that you come in contact with is an opportunity to share the gospel with. But the reality is that we are coming. We are actually not coming, but we are in an age where people do not know the Bible. They do not go to church. So there are people who have never stepped foot in a church, never held the Bible, have never read it. So if we're only using words that we understand as Christians and we fail to lose the ability to communicate the gospel in a way that people can understand, we are bringing dull knives to a knife fight. And that's also why I think multi-generational discipleship and relationship is so important. Do you want to know if you can explain the gospel easily? Try explaining it to an eight-year-old. They have zero cares and zero chill for reconciliation, atonement, all these words that we use sometimes to make us feel smart. But you have to be able to break down the love of God in a way that children can understand it. And if we can't explain, if you and I and we, if we can't explain the gospel in simple language, in illustrations that make sense today in our context, it might just show that it's probably been a hot minute since we've had to explain what the gospel even was, even is, and who Jesus is, and how God relates to us in this day and this time because Jesus was so good at using stories, illustration, parables that the people who are standing right in front of him, sitting in front of him, around him, in ways that they could understand it. And I think that points to us, we should be doing the same. So the parable of the man who found something in the field and he went and he sold everything so that he could own that field to the person <clears throat> who found these pearls and they sold everything so that they can own it shows us that the treasure that we discover the treasure that we have the good news the gospel the relationship with your maker the kingdom of heaven, it is worth selling everything for. It is worth using all your resources to own. It is treasure and it is worth giving our entire life for. That giving up the life that you thought was yours to follow Jesus is 100% worth it. That what you thought your life would be, comfort, convenient, all those things to follow Jesus, it is worth it to give it all up. It is worth it. And you're probably thinking, but on, is it? And the simple answer is yes, it is. Because when you experience, I experience, we experience the very presence of God. It awakens something so deep in our soul, in our spirit, that it was always meant to be in relationship with. I believe that every person is created and made in the image of God. There's a part of them that longs for that, for that uniting with their maker, that union with their maker. So when you experience the presence of God, it awakens something in your soul. You cannot go back to thinking the life that you lived before that encounter was the best thing you ever had because in that encounter with the very tangible reality of God, you recognize that there is something so much greater, that there is eternity. And I share this illustration with our church. And I always say, trust me, wait until the end, it makes sense. But experiencing the presence of God is like eating McDonald's for your entire life, thinking it was the absolute best thing until you have that experience where you actually taste the absolute best thing. Life before God is like eating McDonald's, fast food, trash food your entire life, thinking that is the absolute best thing in the world. 
probably somewhere along the line recognizing it might not be the best thing for you. And then you have this radical encounter with the presence of God. Your taste buds, you cannot go back and say, yes, that nasty trash food was the best thing in the world because you experienced something different. You experienced something that changed your life. You can't go back and say that that's the best thing because you had the best thing. You experienced the best thing. You have the best thing. You can lie and go back and say, yeah, sure, that's it. Because going back is way easier than going forward with God. But can I tell you, giving up the life that you thought would be yours to follow God is 100% worth it. That you cannot experience the presence of God and be the same. It wrecks you. It shakes something up in you. So you can't, well, you can go back, but there will always be something in you that isn't the same. Because your soul and your spirit in that encounter with the very presence of the living God tasted something that it was meant to always be in relationship with. It experienced something that it was always meant to be in communion with. So you can lie to yourself and go back, but you won't be the same. It is 100% worth it to be in relationship and to, with Jesus to follow him, even when it sucks and it is hard, it is worth it. That the peace of God is something that can only come from God and it keeps us going back to him and what we should all want to do after that moment What we should all want to do with our lives is to point people to God and bring them to him. So be like the man who found something in the field of great value and sell everything you have so that you can own that field. Be like the person that lived their life trying to find those pearls, finding it and giving everything so that you can own it. Live with that zest and that zeal Understanding that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is worth it. Following Jesus is worth it. So the question that I have here is that will you give up everything to follow Christ? Will you be like the person who found the treasure in the field? Will you be like the person who found those valuable pearls? And you might be thinking, on ah. What does give up everything mean? Does it mean you want me to sell everything I own and go to another country to be a missionary? No. Not if God doesn't call you to it. Plus also COVID-19. You can't be traveling around. On, does it mean you want me to sell my house and sell everything I own? Live in a potato sack and wear Toms? Is that what you want? No. Unless God called you to it. But it might mean stop getting drunk and being a bad witness to your coworkers and your friends. It might mean stop being so freaking mean to people that you work with and interacting every day. You're not showing them Christ's love by being a jerk. It might mean owning your own spiritual walk with the Lord. Because you can't teach someone else to follow Jesus if you're not following Jesus. It might mean working on your marriage and honoring your spouse so you can show your children what it's like to live in a holy marriage. Of laying one, laying down your life for the sake of your spouse, loving the, your spouse the way Christ loves the church. It almost seems too easy to go to all these extremes. And it is easy to forget. That it almost feels useless to go out there into the world if God did not go out there into the world. Fly to another country to a place that doesn't speak English if you are not already being a missionary in your neighborhood. There is nothing magical about an airplane seatbelt. All the the most incredible missionaries that I know are people who lived it out here before they went out there. Giving up everything to follow Jesus means waking up every day and committing yourself to honor the Lord, to be in the word of God, to be in worship, to be in community, 
to be aligning and abiding, to be malleable, to be flexible, to be able to pivot and go do whatever God calls you to do. It is hard and it is worth it. And the last of the three parables that are only found here (coughs) about the net being casted out. And once it gets full, they drag it to the shore and then they divide the good and the bad fish. It closes that loop and that story about how at the end of the work, God will do the sorting. And I think these parables point us to how God is just in control. That even in the crazy, God is in control. That in the moments where we feel like there is great injustice, God is in control. That he sees the end game. He knows what his angels will do because he commands them. God is in control. That even when God is in control of my life, your life, our life, we will become like the man who finds the valuable thing in the field and he sells everything to own the field. He'll be, will be like the people who find the pearls and sell everything so that we can own the pearls, the most precious things, the treasure. That when God is in control, we will follow him and he is always in control. It is the promise that God's justice will reign. It is the promise that even though things don't make sense right now, they will make sense in the end. And we move forward to the next set of verses. And he asked them, do you understand these things? And they said, we do. Then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who goes from his storeroom, who brings to his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country, he tra- he returned to Nazareth, his hometown, where he taught there in the synagogue. Everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do these miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary. We know his mother, his brother, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles because of their unbelief. The things that really popped out to me in these set of verses is just how they didn't believe Jesus. They were with him. They saw what he was doing and they still did not believe him. And it's just so funny because we get so upset when people don't believe us. But they didn't believe him. And they were with him. They saw what he did and they chose to still not believe. And they would say in this translation, and I'm reading from the NLT, the New Living Translation, you're just the carpenter's son. We know your family. Where did you learn these things? And they didn't believe, they were offended. And I don't know how that, I don't know about you, but man, that stands out to me. But all the times, People have doubted what God has called me to do in my life. That I'm just this girl that came from this broken family. I'm just this girl who struggles with mental illness and is very human. I'm just this girl who didn't have a father and is an immigrant to this country. I'm just this. And even in the midst of people saying, I'm just this, God is like, I know who you are. I made you. I love you. I've called you. So don't believe it when people say you're just this. You come from this family. We know them. 
I find great assurance that people said it to Jesus, so they'll say it to me. That people downplayed who Jesus was. They downplayed that he was just the carpenter's son and they, they knew his family and they chose not to believe and that didn't affect what Jesus chose to do. Because Jesus knows who he was then, he knows who he is now and he forever will know who he is. He is the son of God, the son of man, fully God, fully man, our Lord and Savior, the Messiah, the Savior. He knows who he is, so he will continue to do the Father's work. I know who I am, so I will continue to do the Father's work. Do you know who you are, so you can continue to do the Father's work? Don't get offended if people don't believe you and believe in the things that God has called you to do. Surround yourself with the people who do. And Jesus left that place because they didn't even believe. When we are walking through earlier in in chapters 12 and 13, in all the chapters prior to this with the miracle stories, there were so many situations where Jesus did a miracle and the religious people are like, no hard pastor of the devil. No hard pass. You are not of God. We just saw you resurrect somebody, but surely you cannot be of God. And Jesus still went out and he healed and he preached and he taught. Don't get upset if people don't believe you. Just keep doing the work of God because he is in control. It is fully worth it to follow him. And why is this so important now for us to know? In our self-quarantine, in our social distancing, in the six feet apart CDC, no greater than 10 people gathered is recommended. Why is this important? And I believe that what we just studied through, what we just worked through is important because it offers us perspective. And that is what the Bible does. It gives us perspective. It gives us perspective of the entire biblical narrative, the entire pursuit of God of his, um, towards his people, the love that he has. It gives us perspective to live our life in. But these verses in Matthew 13, 38 36 through 58, it gives us perspective for right now because one, it reminds us that God's justice will always reign even when we don't understand. Can I just say that life is really confusing right now? That every day something new is going on and it feels unstable and unknown and there's so much fear and there's so much fear mongering. There's so much insensitivity on social media. There's just so much and all of this is colliding with our faith. And I just find so much reassurance that God reigns in the midst of this. That I find assurance that at the end of the day, at the end of the harvest, the angels will do their work, that the good and the bad will be weeded out, that there will be a separation. It is not up to me. It What is up to me is how I choose to live today to honor Jesus, that God reigns in the end. So when things are confusing, I just need to go back to him. When things are hard, I just need to go back to him. And as an extrovert, this quarantine, this isolation has been real hard on me. Because I just love to be around people so much. So it is hard on me to make a decision and not gather because I just want to be with people in our church. I just want to sit next to you, share a meal with you, hug you, laugh with you. So things are real confusing for my extroverted self right now. But I know that God is doing something cool. I know that the perspective of this is that God is doing something in the church to birth a creativity that we have not tapped into because we were just doing what we've always done because what we've always done has always worked. But now we are in a time where things cannot work the same the way they did before. So we have to tap into deeper into relationship, deeper into community, deeper into creativity. It is like a forced 
beautiful reawakening of the spirit of God in his people. Not because the spirit wasn't moving. It was because the people of God were not tapping. We were not tapping into the spirit of God to reach people in creative ways. And now we are forced to. So God reigns in this, my friends. And the other perspective (coughs) that this scripture has given me is that giving up everything to follow Jesus is worth it. Being with Jesus is worth it. Following Jesus is worth it. Just like the man in the field, just like the ones who found the pearls, it is worth it. And why is it worth it right now? It is worth it right now because things are dark right now. Not just in America, around the world, things are hard and dark. And right now, Christians need to shine brighter if we are called to be the light of the world. Can I just say, you are not using a flashlight in the daytime. You are using the flashlight in the dark because it is in the dark is where you need light. And right now, if the world is dark, they need light and we are called to be the light. But in order to be the light, we got to remember that we got to give it up to follow Jesus. We need to be willing to be inconvenienced and uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel because right now the gospel is what the world needs. Hope is what the world needs. Practical love is what the world needs. Prayers is what the world needs. We are what the world needs right now. So yes, it is worth it to follow Jesus because we cannot be the light if we are not tapped into the Son of God. If we are not in relationship with him. And the last part, why is all this important right now? Why is Matthew 13, 36 through 58 important right now? We just ended on it. That they didn't even believe Jesus. And there will be people who won't believe us. That doesn't mean we stop shining brightly. That doesn't mean we don't preach the gospel in ways that people understand. That doesn't mean we stop doing the work of God because they won't believe us. It is so important right now that we continue to do the work of God. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Use wisdom. Love radically. Pray for people. Help the single parents in our community who are struggling to feed their children. Because their hours have been cut. You see someone on Facebook who needs toilet paper. Maybe bring them a couple rolls. Drop it off at their front porch and run six feet away. Then text them and tell them toilet paper is out on your front porch. They didn't even believe Jesus. So rest assured that there will be people who won't even believe us. Don't get upset about it. Don't get offended about it. Jesus knew who he was and what he was about. So he went and did kingdom work. So know who God has made you to be and be about that. And go do kingdom work because right now it is dark and we need to be light. I say this from the bottom of my heart. I miss you as your pastor, as your friend. Oh man, I miss seeing all the kids run through my house. I miss the noise. I miss the hugs and the high fives. I miss the stories. I miss our amazing shared meals. Can I just say I miss Indian food night? I miss you. Our family Misses you. Our physical home misses you. It is dark and confusing times right now. And we can be the light. We can trust that God is in control. And we can rest assured that it is worth it to follow Jesus. It is worth it to follow Jesus. And I sent out in the newsletter earlier this week 
some questions that you can ask your kids, even ask yourself. I want you to go back and read those questions and spend some time discipling your family. Spend some time getting into the word of God. We are self-quarantined. There is a lot of digital media that we can consume. Be wise about how you are spending your time and what you are consuming. This might be the perfect time to log on to faithlifetv.com and watch good content. This might be the time for your family to learn Greek on mobile education videos that you have access to as a part of our church group on faithlife.com. This is the time to read a family devotional. This might be the time for all the single people in our church to dive so deep into the word of God that you are just immersed and soaked in it. This is the time. And while I know it is hard and it is dark, I feel it too. I believe that this is a time where it is like a forced time of rest for people. So use your rest well. Be wise. Be mindful. Be aware. Be safe. I cannot wait until we get together again. And until then, please reach out to each other. Love each other. See what each other needs. I miss you, church. I'm going to pray. And I hope that the rest of your time in this season would be immersed and soaked in the very spirit of God. And he would use each of us in our neighborhoods to be light in the dark. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you, Lord, that you are in the midst of this. You are in control. God, give us perspective right now. In the middle of the dark, give us perspective. Give us opportunity to be light in the dark. Give us opportunity to shine brightly. Give us opportunity to preach and teach the gospel and believe for miracles and see miracles done. Let us not be like the people in the verses that we just studied that scoffed and get offended and didn't believe Jesus. Let us be like the one who finds the treasure in the field and sells everything because it is worth it to follow you. Let us be like the, like the person who finds the pearls and will give anything to acquire it, to be, to own it. God, you are so good. You are so holy. You are so mighty. I pray that in this time of self-quarantine, of flattening the curve, of giving up a lot of things that we take for granted so we can protect the most vulnerable amongst us, God, would you give us perspective on how you're going to use this time in our life? In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, church. I can't wait to see you in person. Until then, phone calls, FaceTime messages, check in on each other, love each other well. We love you.